Wow, you go to Puerto Rico for a week and things change. Looks good, huh? Looks good. Yeah, you can go. Got some guys. We'll, we'll, when it's done, we'll, we'll bring some of those guys and ladies up that have spent a lot of time working and investing and so um, at a different time. But just it's excited. It would be weird for me to come up here and to not acknowledge that it's, that it's in progress and looking good. So excited about that and those that are spending a lot of time. Thinking that this past week I was in Puerto Rico and uh, meeting with sister churches that we've been um, partnering with. And so one of the churches that we worked with, Oasis Batista, um, lost a major portion of their roof. And so obviously in losing that with the rainfall and everything coming in, they lost the, the seating, they lost their sound system, they lost their drums. So everything on the inside's pretty much on the main sanctuary. I mean, imagine big holes being ripped out and, you know, gallons and gallons of water being poured in. So they lost everything. One church that's um, near the airport, um, Isla Verde, lost their entire roof is gone. So we pulled up and it's in sheets next to there. And so um, just the devastation is, is um, you know, I could show you pictures, but even the devastation doesn't do it justice. There was one blinking light. Um, on the whole main island um, that we saw. And so everywhere else there was basically no electricity unless there was a generator. Um, And so it's just, you know, there's still places that are extremely remote where they're dropping off stuff and they're doing human chains to pass food. Um, If there's a river, they're tying food and supplies on with a rope and roping it across. And um, so it's just just one of those things that it's going to be a long, long process. They're walking street by street and marking electrical poles are down, transformers are down. They're knocking house to house and asking, checking, are people alive? If, if so, how many are here? What do you need? And so it's, it's truly bare bones. It's starting over trying to figure out what's happening. And even six weeks later, it's still, um, it seems like a slow process. And in, much what, in many ways it is. It's because it's literally on foot, house by house, street by street. Four million people trying to figure out what's going on. So they obviously need our prayers. The places that are doing the best are the churches. Um, they are, we, one of the things that we did as a team that I was with, we um, delivered care packets to the pastors and to the churches. So each, each pastor got a um, generator, got a 24-inch chainsaw, um, trees. As you can imagine, trees are just everywhere. Um, they got a, a water filtration system. They got... 100 pounds of rice, and they got beans, and they got camping stoves, and propane, and all the things that they're going to need. And many of the pastors were um, pastors' heart. They didn't want to keep it, but wanted to pass it on to others. And so we said, hey, we've got a church kit that's coming next week. Let's take care of you and get you situated, and then we can also, you know, help the church as well. And the church will get a similar type kit. And one of the things Farlin said was that they had to move their church services outside underneath an awning. And um, because of that, they've actually drawn people in. Because as they sing and as they preach, people are drawn to that. And so they're actually people having people climb over the fence and try to find out how to get to them. And um, the other good thing is that a property that would normally cost over $100,000 for them to purchase um, right now um, is about $40,000. And so they can actually buy a space and buy double the space that they'd ever thought thinking about buying. And so um, we're going to try to work with them and find some ways through the Southern Baptist and some other entities 
that maybe we can't help them find a permanent place so they can be a lighthouse and a strong fortress in the midst of that place. So keep praying for them. And over the next few weeks, look in the e-news. If you don't get the e-news, fill out your connection card and put that on there. We do send weekly news. In the e-news, we're going to be sending care packets to the pastors and their kids and their wives. And so um, some of the things that they need are solar-powered little personal fans, solar-powered lights or battery-operated things. Um, I mean, it is, it is apocalyptic. They have nothing. So they are on bated breath on water, bated breath on anything. Many of the kids, many of the schools are not open, so that means 85% of Puerto, Rico, Puerto Rican kids are on free and reduced lunch. So that means if they're not going to school, they may or may not eat. Okay, So that's the situation over there. So um, let's just take a moment. Let's pray about that, and then we'll, we'll get into uh, identity theft. Dearly Father, we are reminded of the bounty that we have here. That even in many of our most difficult days, we haven't walked the road that our brothers and sisters in Christ in Puerto Rico are walking. So Father, we just pray for extraordinary strength, for extraordinary courage, for stamina. Father, that this would be a moment that these churches are here and present in those neighborhoods for such a time as this. That, Lord, that in the midst of seemingly no hope, that they are drawn to the one that gives eternal hope. That no matter the circumstances, that there can be joy in life. So, Father, I pray that for the believers in Puerto Rico, Father, that you give them extraordinary, dynamic, dynamite, resurrection, power, and joy. Father, that miracles break out in their midst in such a way that men and women and children are drawn unto the light of Jesus Christ. And that, Father, that in the midst of devastation and destruction, that revival breaks out in that place. That, Father, through water, that living water is found. Through lights, that the light of the world is found. Father, through rice and bread, that the bread of life is found. And that a little bitty, tiny island would be radically changed. And Father, that they would be ascending nation, ascending place to the world of what God can do in the midst of brokenness. Father, may we join with them and encourage them and assist them as much as we can possibly do. It's in your Son's name that we pray. Amen. Hey, a few years ago, I was, Becky and I moved to Colorado, and as we're moving to Colorado, one of the things we were looking at after a few months was, was purchasing a house. And so some of you have gone through that process, and so we're thinking about purchasing a house. One of those things is a background check. Any of you ever had those kind of things? And so we're going through the background check and doing all that different stuff, and we were pretty confident we were good. We could buy a, 
a small little house. I don't know if you know anything about Colorado, but Colorado is expensive. And so a house generally somewhere else that it's $80,000, it's usually like half, you know, double to triple that. So it's 150, 240,000. An average two-bedroom apartment right now in Denver is going for about 200, $220,000. So that's kind of pricey. And so we thought we could maybe get a half bedroom and half bath on our salary. So we were doing the background check, trying to figure that out. And uh, it came back and they said we were denied. And I was like, what in the world? Well, come to find out, whenever they did the background check, I came back as a six foot four, 220 pound black guy. Now, I'm almost six foot four, Maggie. I was just going to see how you were going to, how you were going to do that. Without laughing, see? Now, come on now. (sighs) Show a six foot four, 220 pound black guy. That was good. That's good. That's good. Y'all remember that. And uh, obviously, the realtor looked at us and he goes, That's not you. And I said, I think so. I think somebody has stolen my identity. Now, I mean, I was, if I was six foot four, two twenty, I would be like, I'd be in the league. I mean, I'd be playing pro football. So I was like, that's a good dream. But so anyway, so we had to go through that whole rigmarole of trying to figure out how did this get stolen, what's happening, what's going on, to try to get my name and my identity and my reputation back. And so this morning, as we're thinking about this identity theft, there are so many times that Satan, the great liar and deceiver, tells us things and whispers things to us that steals from us. Last week you talked John 10.10 that Satan came to steal, kill, and destroy. And many of the ways that he does that is he whispers subtle things to us that we begin to believe. And in believing those things, it steals freedom from us. And that for many of us in this room, we struggle with things because we believe in a false identity. That we do not believe that we are the children of God and what that means for us to be children of of God, children of the King, to to be in His kingdom. And so these next few weeks, I want us just to spend some moments thinking about what are some of those things, false things that we believed and how we've lost our identity. Maybe some of you have thought this before, just one more time won't hurt is a lie that we normally believe. A lie that we also believe is I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough for a variety of different reasons. I just don't add up. Another lie that we believe sometimes is my, def- my past defines me and defines my future. Um, and that we are now new creation in Christ. Some of you have struggled with, I have no purpose, I have no plan, I have no value. And I know a lot of times, ladies, this is one that I've heard, is that I'm not beautiful enough. Maybe some guys you struggle with, I'm not good looking enough or I don't fit that mold. Our idea for this morning is a lie believed as truth. A lie that is believed as truth will affect you as if it is true. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3, 4, and 5, and we'll dig in a little bit. A lie believed as truth will affect you as if it were true. Here Paul again is talking to the church in Corinth, and we've done several sermons over the last few months out of Corinth, and Corinth was a, um, a, an interesting place, a fun place, a difficult place. And so Paul obviously spent a lot of time talking to them, one because of the difficulties, but also because of the 
potential of that church. So 2 Corinthians chapter 10, looking at verse 3. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. Now here what, what Paul is talking about, even in this little passage, is that have a tendency that whenever we don't get what we want or we see someone that has something more than us or better than us, then we begin to do this thing of judging and of lobbing shots across the bow. To, we can lower them so that we can raise ourselves up. That as we look at people around, we begin to, to do the judging thing and think, hey, they've got something that I want or they've got something that I value. And so you begin to find holes in who they are. You begin to find holes in, in the character of them or whatever. And so you begin to judge. And so when you're doing that, you're, what you're trying to do is you're trying to raise yourself up and you're trying to say, listen, I'm more valuable. I'm more worthy. I'm better than this person to try to justify what you're doing and lobbying. And so we've this old adage of words don't hurt. Right? You've, sticks and stones may break my bones, but... Yeah, some of you have heard it. Some of you haven't. But this idea of words don't really hurt. You can just say whatever you want to say and it doesn't really go. But listen, we know. And many times it's the people that are closest to us that say something that's biting. And the reason that they can say it is because they know us best. They know the weaknesses. They know our vulnerabilities. And so in that trust, they, they, in that moment, they say something that comes out and it hurts and it stings and it's difficult to get over. For though we live in the world, we do not wage world, wage war as the world does. We're to act differently and to think differently. We value people differently. Second part of that, the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of this world. On the contrary, we have, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. Now this idea of power is we get our word dynamite from. Dunamis, dynamite, explosive Power. So the, we don't wage war like the world does. We don't just lob empty words and, and hurtful things. But we literally, as we begin to, to dig in for war and to fight, we demolish things with the power of dynamite, a spiritual dynamite that blows up and explodes to demolish strongholds. Now, strongholds are things that kind of hold us back, that fortify us and that keep us from having freedom in our areas of our life. And so as you begin to, this morning, think about what are some areas of your life that you have a stronghold, whether that's a financial or physical or spiritual. What are some things where you kind of are fortified and it's a fort and you're protective and there's not freedom there and you're not ready to pursue freedom in that area of your life. And so hear what Paul is saying, listen, that you have power, dynamite spiritual power to demolish the strongholds in your life. Now historically, there's a, King, King Reynald III from Belgium. King Reynald III, his made-up name, his, his uh, what do you call it, his nickname, his pet name was Crassus. And Crassus translates to fat guy. So he was the king who was lovingly known as the fat guy. And his younger brother assumed power, took a power away from him, and he put him in a room. He built a room for him all by himself that he would stay by himself, and every day, three times a day, he brought him food. He treated him really nice. He built a normal-sized door, and everything was normal size. And if all Crassus had to do to get out of that room was to lose weight. All he had to do, but his brother knew his weakness. Three meals a day for ten years, he continued to eat and never got out of that room until the day that his brother died. Some of us, 
the evil one knows our weaknesses. Two meals and begin to say, listen, there is freedom right through that door. Most people coming and going. He could see it. People could come and go. People were bringing him food. There wasn't even a door there. It was just a doorway. He could at any time walk out of that door. And how many of us live in rooms like that where we are captive to our own stuff? And that if we would just begin to set, side, set stuff aside and begin to say, listen, I desire freedom and I can see freedom right there. I've just got to get into the place, get into the shape, whatever it is, give up some things that are not life-giving so that I can find freedom on the other side. That many of us are held captive by the things that we have believed about ourselves. And freedom is just on the other side. Deception by their own self. Some of the strongholds that we struggle with are financial. Some of you, we, we struggle with credit card debt. We struggle with all kinds of different debt. And so you want to be generous. You want to, you want to not have that weighing you down. And as, even as the Scripture talks about that debt literally is bone-crushing and overly burdensome. And so there's those moments where you, you want to get out from underneath it, but you're just tied down to it. And so you've been stuck to a financial um, stronghold, and it literally consumes you. Some of you are in a relational stronghold, and you have struggles with trust. You look at yourself and maybe you're, you're single or you're single again and you're like, I'm just not worthy of being married. I'm not worthy of being in a relationship. And maybe you're even at a place where you struggle with friendships. And so, again, probably trust is tied to that. And, and listen, that's one of the things about friendships and relationships is you have to begin to trust and, and doing that over and over and over again. And, and one of the places that trust is broken the most is church. It's church because we begin to let people in and then all of a sudden something happens and that trust is broken and so it's difficult because we always have this misnomer of that um, people in church, uh, because they know Jesus or say they know Jesus, that they're not still human. And we forget that in church they're still human and there's still messiness and none of us are perfect and we're working this out. So difficult with relationships. Maybe you have some habit things that you're addicted to something or you have some bad habits and, and um, I have a bad habit. I like to eat more than I like to work out, okay? So one of the things I'm working on is trying to eat less and work out more. Some days it's good, some days it's not. We've all got things that we're struggling with and working through, and I get it. Some of you have some mental strongholds that everything is just negative. That people hang around you for a little bit and they're like, man, you're, just, you're wearing me out because everything is negative. You can't find a positive thing. You have a bad attitude. and There's a stronghold in your life that you can't find the joy of life in anything. And the symptoms are symptoms for why that is. But that you struggle with a stronghold of some spiritual stuff. That you're struggling with faith. That you look around and you think everyone else is more spiritual than I am. Everyone else is closer to God. Everyone else has got it more together and that God doesn't want me or God doesn't need me and that's a stronghold and then also physical that you have a negative body image that for some reason or another that you believe that when you walk through the line at HEB or Walmart and you see those magazines that's that's what every person should look like and so you achieve that and try to pursue that and as you pursue that you don't you don't achieve it and so you don't achieve it so then you're worthless and there's something wrong with you and why didn't you do this and and then in all honesty I mean just Look at your mom and dad. Did they ever look like that magazine? Probably not. So you're probably not. You know what I mean? That, that whole thing. And so we have these, these lies that we believe that we just continue to pursue. And so we don't reach them. And so then we feel guilty. And so then, we feel, and then this whole cycle starts over again. And if we would quit feeding that lie, 
then we could get out of the door of the stronghold and the deception and get to freedom. And that Christ says that I have come to set you free. It's for freedom that I've come to set you free. And that for some reason we fall into these lies and these deceptions that many of them are our own making and our own holding on to. Because let's be honest, some of us are more comfortable in the fortification of our own deception because we know what that looks like than walking on the other side of freedom because we're afraid of what freedom might truly be. Because of what it might cost us what we might have to give up, what we might have to admit, what we might have to say, what we might have to do to get to freedom on the other side. Because freedom in many ways is scary. So how do we get past these strongholds? Look at verse 5. We demolish these arguments or these thoughts and every pretension that sells itself up against the knowledge of God. And here's the strategy. We take every thought captive every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. Take those thoughts, begin to make those negative things, the things that you're struggling with, whatever that may be. Let's just to say, hey, I, 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 I feel worthless because I'm overweight, all right? That's just my deal, okay? Thinking about, hey, I need more hair, okay? And so those, those negative things that we begin to buy into that, listen, if I had more hair, then, then I would be a better-looking guy, and if I was a better looking guy, then I would be taller. And if I was taller, then I would have been faster. And if I was faster, then I would have been, you know, I mean, all this little stuff. And so you see this cycle that begins to happen in our lives and begin to take these thoughts captive at the very beginning to say, listen, I am not worthless. Let's just capture that thought. In that moment when it comes up, man, whatever, I'm, I'm worthless. Immediately capture it. And begin to say, no, listen, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put it in this little place and we're going to hold it here. And we're going to say, I'm not worthless. No, that is a lie. The truth is, is that I am valuable and unique. That I'm the masterpiece. That I'm a one of a kind. There is no other mold, anything, anyone like me ever before, even now, or ever again. And some of you are saying, amen. But listen. Capture that lie and then infuse it with truth from Scripture. See, that's Scripture. You were created. You are a good work. You were created for good works. You are a masterpiece. Literally, that is on the outside as people are seeing this. On the backside, it may look like a mess because the great seamstress is seeming putting things together. And so everybody out here is seeing this beautiful picture and you, you try to put yourself together. But on the backside, there's the messiness. And God's the one that's in the back working on the messiness. And he's saying, hey, listen, you may sense and feel and whatever in this moment that you are junk, but... Everyone else here, as we're growing this process and, and molding and shaping you, that you are a masterpiece. Some of you are struggling with finances and you're like, listen, I just need a better job. I just need two jobs. I need three jobs because I want this or I want that. And listen, maybe the truth is you just need to stop digging. Because if you keep digging, the hole is going to get deeper. And so some of us, we just need to stop digging and say, listen, from this point forward, I'm going to live within my means. And if I make $100, then I need to live on 99 And there is no other thing over here. Yes, it's not guaranteed money. There's this little credit card that comes across and you'd add in, hey, wow, now I have an extra $10,000 to my budget. 
right? Well, yeah, plus 13.99% interest. And if you're making $100 and then you're adding in this extra $10,000 and you're continuing to dig, eventually you're going to be overwhelmed and you're going to feel like, I could not get out of this. You're going to be drowning. Listen, the Scripture says, live within your means, live simply. We talked about a few weeks ago how much money, how much finances is enough to live in the way that God wants us to live. Interestingly enough, one of the pastors that we talked with in Puerto Rico, even six weeks in, even with the devastation, he said, Chris, I hate to say this, but we need more Marias for our people to be woken up. He goes, it took a week, and immediately they were back to what they'd been to. They went and they found, they're trying to find whatever. They still walk around with their phones. Even though their phones aren't working, they're still... There's just this mindset, and the world is passing them by. Their view and their perspective is still one that has no idea that God is trying to talk to us in the midst of this. The things that deceive us. We even had that discussion at our dinner table last night. Philippians 4.8 says this, Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. For us to begin to think about what are the things that we take in. Because the things that we take in reflect out here. If we're struggling with certain things, begin to ask the question, what are you taking in? What are you pursuing? What are you looking after? What are you trying to reach after? So capture your thoughts The second thing that you can do as a strategy is release the right words. Say the right things. Proverbs 18.21, the tongue has the power of life and death. Right words do bring life and death. And Psalms 19.14, may the words of my mouth and the thoughts of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. To say the positive things. Isn't it amazing how positive words can mean so much that if you say the, say the positive thing over and over, and I'm not talking about just positive thinking, but I'm saying, like, listen, say truthful, scriptural things and pass them out here and saying, listen, I'm confessing because words do bring life and they bring death. And so to say the truthful things in love is powerful. But there are times that you need to say, hey, walk up to your children and just put your arms around them and just say, I love you. has nothing to do with their performance in any way, just say, hey, listen, I love you because you're my child. I don't care if you made a, a C or a B or didn't take out the trash. I just want you to know I love you. When's the last time that you walked up to your spouse and said, hey, listen, you're a worst person ever. How would that work? Not going to go over. What do you say to your spouse? I like you. No, no one ever says, I like you. I love you. You're the best thing since sliced bread. Bring on the butter. I don't know. What do you say? What do you say? You say encouraging things, right? Power in our words. Ever said the wrong thing? You've met death. I saw a deal the other day for a manometer. 
manometer. I thought, man, we need to, I'm going to capture that and sell it, man. It's this little deal that, you know, you come in and you say, hey, honey, I'm going to go play golf. Is that okay? And she turns around and she says, oh, yeah, that's a great idea. And then he puts on a little manometer and says, if you do, I'm going to kill you, you dirty dog, you know. It's the fourth night in a week that you've gone to play golf or you ever, and how saying the wrong things and how sometimes we just need to interpret words have power of death and life. Even the other day we were at our house, heard someone, not in our house, but we were at an event and a mom was talking to her child. She said, hey, baby whale. Hey, Shamu. And I'm like, what in the world is that mom thinking? That is not bringing life. And how many times in those moments when we are upset and we're angry and we say something, and we know that as soon as we say it, it's like you want to capture it and bring it back because you know that it's not going to bring life. It's going to bring death to that person that you love and it's going to bring death to you because you're hurting them. The power of words to release the right words. That's why Jesus even tells us, he says, listen, you need to confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that he's been raised from the dead. There's power in confession. When's the last time that you sat across from someone and said, I need to confess to you, here's my thoughts, here's my heart, here's the things that I'm struggling with. There's power in confession. Because listen, it brings death. In that moment, as you confess who you truly are, there's death in that moment. And people, you're, you're saying to listen, you're getting to see into me. Intimacy is into me. I'm giving, I'm confessing the depths of my heart. And so there's an intimacy in that moment. And in that intimacy, I'm giving over and I'm saying, I'm confessing to you who I truly am. And it could mean death to how they see you and view you in that relationship, but you're willing to say, I'm, I'm, I'm willing to take this next step. And then in that moment, as you're confessing that, yes, it can bring death, but it's so many times more often it's bringing life. Because in a true friendship, a true friendship, they're going to come back and say, I love you. I'm sorry that you're struggling with that. Let's walk with this together. Let's hold each other accountable. Let's, in these moments, and still continue to confess. Because in that confession, yes, there's death, but also there springs up life. That's why we lop trees. That's why we do the pruning, so that from that death there can come new life. Release the right words, but also attack and win is the final thing. To this end, I labor struggling with all His energy, Christ's energy. So here we are in this struggle. And somewhere along the way, some of you maybe have been taught that you become a Christian and life becomes easy. And in life becoming a Christian, life becomes easy. And then you've been a Christian for a week and you realize my life is still difficult. You still have debt. You still have horrible relationships. You still have that habit. You still, whatever it is. And so what Jesus is saying, listen, I will join with you in attacking and winning the strongholds of your life. The doors are open. The fortification is there. But you have the opportunity to walk through that door, to, to struggle to the point of getting there. Literally, this idea of His energy is His resurrection power. That we have available to us 
His resurrection power and energy that from death can come life. That the strongholds of your life that you feel like are dead spaces that you don't want anyone to know about, but there's freedom there, but you're not willing to confess, you're not willing to, to release that. The freedom is over there, and the resurrection power within inside of you that give you the power and the energy and the strength is in Him through you to take those steps and to get there. Philippians 3.13, But the one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which Christ God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. It's this idea of trying and surrendering. Of trying and surrendering. A prayer is just not enough, but you've got to work. You've got to struggle. You've got to confess. You've got to move forward in the struggle to get to freedom. Here's what I want you to get. He's everything you've got. Jesus is everything you've got. And he's everything you don't have. Jesus is everything you've got, and he's everything that you don't have. He has what you don't have to get you to this place. His resurrection power and strength, the dynamite power to move you forward in truth and a reality of who you really are, to move past those fortifications. What's that one thing that God wants to do in you in this next year, in these coming months, in this next year as you think about the new year? What's the one stronghold that's the strongest, deepest thing that you've been holding on to and you're like, listen, I can see the light and I want to get there, but I've been deceived by my own deception. Have you struggled to the point? Have you fought with, with a struggle? Have you fought with the resurrection power and saying, listen, I'm going to get to this place, not in my own power, but I'm going to be trying, I'm going to be praying, but I'm also surrendering to Him and following whatever He says so I can move to this place because I'm tired of being in this stronghold. I'm ready for freedom. And I don't know what it's going to cost me, but I want freedom on the other side. And I've talked with many of you over the past year. Come and we've talked on different levels of different things. And one of the greatest, most exciting things for me as a pastor is to see husbands and wives, young people and older people, confess and move forward to freedom. And to know that as they don't even desire to look back. Because they know that they know that they know that they don't want that as a part of their life anymore and they're moving to freedom and they enjoy the freedom that they have in Christ. And now they're working on the next stronghold and the next place of where God is going to bring freedom. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we just lift up this group this morning. For all of us are in some place, in some way, believing lies that hold us in strongholds. Father, some of us have given up. We don't even struggle anymore. We just, we're not satisfied, but we're just tired of fighting. Father, I pray that you would allow them to tap into the resurrection power. And that you would just dynamite, just explode and move them out of that place. Father, for others that have never even thought about some of the strongholds that they've been, that they've been in, they're just, they're just there. Father, that you would move their heart and allow them to see the stronghold and the fortification and then how they can move out of that. Father, for you said you've come to set us free. It's for freedom 
that you've set us free. Not to be tied down, not to be held down. So, Father, I just pray for everyone in this room, whatever that next place is, that they need freedom. That they would find it, they would pursue it, and they would live in it. And then ultimately they would tell the story about finding that freedom for the encouragement of others to know that even, yes, even I can move through that door to freedom. For it's in your Son's name that we pray. Amen.